Part One, Chapter Six of *The Pride of Yenico*. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Sylvia M. B. in Washington State. *The Pride of Yenico* by Edgerton and Agnes Castle. Part One, Chapter Six. The night before my wedding day, it was natural enough. There was a restlessness upon me which would not let me sleep or think of sleep when supper was over i bade my servants retire they had thought me cracked and with reason i believe for the way in which i had wandered about the house all day moving and shifting and preparing and giving orders to no seeming purpose i sat down in my uncle's room and drawing the chair he had died in opposite his portrait i held a strange conclave with as i believed then his ghost i know now that if any spirit communed with me that night it was my own evil angel i had had the light set where it best illuminated the well-known countenance at my elbow was a goodly bottle of his famous red wine nah old one said i aloud leaning back in my chair in luxurious self-satisfaction and proud complacency i am doing well for the old name who knows if one day thou countest not kings among thy descendants methought the old man grinned back at me his hideous tusked grin tis well girlchen he said i enrolled the pedigree that cursed parchment what a part it has played in my life as evil a part as fatal as the apple by which our first parents fell it is pride that damns us all and i read aloud the entries i had made they sounded very well and so my uncle thought or seemed to for i swear he winked at me and said write it in ink lad that must stand clear for das klinkshorn and then though i was very comfortable i had to get up and find the ink and engross the noble record of my marriage filling in the date with care for my uncle dead or alive was not one to disobey tis good then again said my uncle and thou dost well but remember without i had done so well lad thou hast not reasoned thus and what added my uncle sniggering will the blue girl say when he hears the news <laughs> nephew basil i had thought of that myself it was another glorious pull over the renegade whereupon my uncle it was surely the proud fiend himself bent upon my destruction fell to telling me i must write to my family at once that the letter might be dispatched in the morning i protested i was bound to secrecy i told him but he scowled and would have it that i must remember my duty to my mother and he further made me a very long sermon upon the curses that will befall a bad child and thus egged on what could i do i indicted a very flaming document indeed and under the seal of the strictest confidence made my poor mother acquainted with all the greatness her son was bringing into his family and bade her rejoice with him the night was well worn when i had finished and the bottle of potent burgundy was nearly out too then meaning to rise and withdraw i fell asleep in my chair it was grey dawn before i awoke and i was cold as i stretched myself and staggered to my feet in the weird thin light my uncle's face now shone out drawn and austere with something of the look i remembered it to have borne in death but it was the dawn of my wedding-day and i went to my bed stumbling over old janos who sat the faithful dog asleep on the threshold to dream of my wedding a wedding with royal pomp to the blare of trumpets and acclamations of multitude yenico hoch hoch dem edlem yenico the village of wilhelmsdal is quite an hour's drive even at the pace of my good horse 
along the downhill road which leads from my uplifted mansion into the valley land it takes two hours for the return way for safety's sake i made the announcement of my approaching marriage to the household as late in the day as possible and though sorely tempted to betray the exalted rank of the future mistress to the astonished major-domo to whom janos with his usual imperturbability interpreted my commands i refrained with a sense that the impression created would only after all be heightened if the discourse were withheld till the actual apparition of the newly made wife but in the vain arrogance of my delight i ordered every detail of the reception which was to greet us at which i was determined should be magnificent enough to make up for the enforced whole corner secrecy of the marriage ceremony schultz the factor my chief huntsman and the highest among my people were to head torchlight processions of their particular subordinates at stated places along the avenue that led upwards to the house there was to be feasting and music in the courtyard flowers were to be strewn from the very threshold of her new home to the door of my princess's bridal chamber god knows all the extravagance i planned it makes me sick now to think back on it and the wedding ah that was a wedding to be proud of it was a dull and cloudy evening with a high moist wind that came in wild gusts sweeping over the plains and tearing the leaves from the forest trees bringing with it now a swift moonlit clearing upon the lowering face of heaven now only thicker darkness and torrents of rain it was all but night already in the forest roads when i started and quite night as i emerged from out of the shelter of the mountains into the flat country janos sat on the box and my chasseurs hung on behind and my four horses kept up a splendid pace upon the level ground i had dressed very fine as became a bridegroom but fortunate it was that i had brought a dark cloak with me for a fearful burst of storm rain came down upon me as i jumped out from the carriage at the church door and indeed despite that protection my fine white satin clothes were splashed with mud my carefully powdered queue sadly disarranged in the few steps i had to take before reaching shelter for the wind blew a very hurricane and the rain came down like the rain of the deluge the church porch was lit only by an ill-trimmed wick floating in a saucer of oil but by the flickering light envious and frail as it was i discerned at once the figure of mademoiselle ottilie's nurse awaiting us without a word she beckoned me to follow her into the church the place struck cold and damp with a death-like closeness after the warm blustering air i had just left it was even darker than the porch outside its sole illumination proceeding from the faint glow of the little sanctuary lamp and the sullen yellow flame of two or three tallow candles stuck on spikes before a rough wooden statue on a pillar at one side i flanked by janos and his two satellites followed the gaunt figure to the very altar rails where with an imperious gesture she signed me to take my place before turning to go she stood still a second looking at me and methought or it may have been a fancy born of the dismal place and the dismal gloom that i had never seen a human countenance express so much hatred as did that woman's in the mysterious gleam of the lamp my heart contracted with an omen of forthcoming ill then i heard her feet go down the aisle the door open and close and we were left alone in the silence of the church the most poverty-stricken and desolate the most miserable the most ruined be yet used as the house of god i think i had ever entered at the foot of the altar of my faith a sudden misgiving seized upon me how would all this end i was going to bind myself for life with the most solemn vows would all the honour and glory of the alliance compensate me for the loss of my liberty i was only twenty-six and i knew of her who was henceforth 
to be my second self no more rather less than i knew of any of the barefooted maids that slipped grinning about the passages of tollendal to be frank with myself the glamour of gratified vanity once stripped from before the eye of my inmost soul what was the naked hideous truth i had no more love for her man for woman than for rosy kathy or black-brown sarolta here my reflections were broken in upon by the very patter of naked souls that had been in my thoughts and a little ragged boy in a dilapidated surplice ran around the sanctuary from some back door and fell to lighting a pair of candles on the altar a proceeding which only seemed once more to heighten the darkness presently in a surplice and cassock as tattered as his acolytes with long white hair lying unkempt upon his shoulders an old priest in sooth the oldest man i have ever seen alive i believe came forth with tottering steps before him the tattered urchin behind him a sacristan well-nigh as antique as himself and as utterly pauperized these were to be the ministers of my grand marriage but almost immediately a fresh clamour of opening doors and a light sedate footfall struck my ear and all doubt and dismay disappeared like magic closely enveloped in the folds of a voluminous dark velvet cloak with its hood drawn forward over her head and beneath this shade her face muffled in the gathers of a white lace veil i knew the stately height of my bride as she advanced towards me and the sight of her the sound of her brave step set my heart dancing with the old triumph she stood beside me and as the words were spoken i thought no more of the mean surroundings of the evil omens of the responsibilities and consequences of my act it was nothing to me now that the old priest who wedded us and his companion who ministered to him should look more like mouldering corpses than living men that the nurse's burning eyes should still seek my face with evil look i had no thought to spare for the position of my bride herself her filial disobedience her loneliness no feeling of tenderness for the touching character of her confidence in me no doubt as to her future happiness as my wife nor as to my capacity for compensating her for the sacrifice of so much i did not wonder at nay notice even the absence of the lady-in-waiting that moving spirit of our courtship my whole soul was possessed in triumph i was self-centred on my own success the words were spoken my voice rang out boldly but hers was the barest breath of speech behind her muffling drapery i slipped the ring it had been my aunt's with a passing wonder that it should prove so much too large upon the slender finger that hardly protruded from a fall of enveloping lace we were drenched with a perfect shower of holy water out of a tin bucket and then man and wife we went to the sacristy to sign our names by the light of one smoking tallow candle i dashed mine forth with splendid flourish the good old name of yenico of farringdon dane and tollendal all my qualifications territorial military and inherited and she penned hers in the flowing handwriting i already knew marie ottilie the lofty simple signature as i thought with swelling heart of sovereigns i pressed into the old priest's cold fingers as he peered at us from the book right and left with dull bewildered eyes in which i thought to see the dawn of a vague misgiving a purse bulging with notes to the value of double the sum promised and then with her hand upon my arm i led her to my carriage the rain had begun again and the wind was storming when we drove off my wife and i and for a little while a long time it seemed to me there was silence between us broken only by the beating of 
drops against the panes of the carriage and the steady tramp of my horse's hoofs on the wet road now that i had accomplished my wish a strange embarrassment fell upon me i had no desire to speak of love to the woman i had won i had won her i had triumphed that was sufficient i would not have undone my deed for the world but none the less the man who finds himself the husband and has never been the lover is placed in a singular position i looked at the veiled figure beside me and wondered at its stillness the light of the little lantern inside the carriage flickered upon the crimson of the velvet cloak and the white folds of the veil that hid her face from me then i awoke to the consciousness of the sorry figure i must present in her eyes and drawing from my pocket a ring the richest i had been able to find among my aunt's rich store i took the hand that lay half hidden and passive beside me meaning to slip the jewel over the plain gold circlet i had already placed upon it now as i took the hand into my own i was struck with its smallness its slenderness its lightness i remembered that even in the dark church and with but the tips of the fingers resting in my own a similar impression had vaguely struck me i lifted it spread out the little long thin fingers too often had i kissed the dimpled firm hand of her serene highness not to know the difference this was my wife's hand there was my ring but who was my wife i felt like a man in a bad dream i do not know if i spoke or not but every fibre of me was crying out aloud as it were in a frenzy i suppose i turned or looked at any rate my companion as if in answer to a question said composedly yes sir it is so at the same moment putting up her veil with her right hand she disclosed to me the features of ottilie the lady in waiting end of part one chapter six